Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading will be Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. You may be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to Acts chapter 6? That'll be the beginning place of our lesson for tonight, Acts chapter 6. Haven't we had good song leading today? Brody's done a really good job tonight, and Noah did a great job too this morning, and how blessed we are to have young men who have this kind of skill. And that's attributable partly to lads to leaders. And by the way, if you're watching tonight via live stream, welcome, glad to have you. If you have any questions about lads to leaders, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. It's a wonderful thing to have young people trained up to be able to lead and worship like these young men have done. Memorial Day began not long after the war between the states. It was made official as a national holiday, I think in 1971, and it commemorates, of course, those who have died in service to our country. And it is a worthy thing to pause and to think about that and to be grateful for those who are willing and have been willing to give that ultimate sacrifice so that we, among other things, can sit tonight in this room without fear and that we can practice true religion without fear. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. What I decided to do tonight before we launch out into our week is to talk about God's army and and one in our family who was the first martyr for the faith uh, of the church. And it's, of course, Stephen. I want to spend our time in a character study study tonight talking about Stephen. And that takes us first to Acts chapter 6. Now, when I talk to you about Stephen, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 6. Stephen's a special servant. I would call him a deacon. And when we talk about the, when we talk to the kids about kids singing and, and about Acts 6, well, they'll say deacons. I believe that's accurate. So what happened is that the, the Hellenists were being uh, excluded. The Hellenist widows or Grecian widows were being excluded from the special care in the church. The, the Jewish, if you please, the Hebrew Widows were being well taken care of, but not the Grecian ones. Now, the story, the backstory of that is that, that when people became Christians, remember Acts chapter 2, and we've got already, we've got Christians now launching from Acts 2 that are from 15 different nations or peoples. They're scattered. Well, now, after the church was established, you had a goodly number of Christians that stayed there in Jerusalem, at least for a while. They, they, 
kept on with the temple and they spoke the Hebrew language and all of that. You had a large number that, that went, that left, and they mingled among the Gentile people, the Grecian people. And they took up their language and they, they learned their culture. They dressed differently. They were still Christians. They, they still had Jewish background, but they were, they were the Grecian ones. And you, and you can imagine kind of dissension that might have occurred, and it did, and it showed itself in how the widows were cared for. And so the apostles says uh, said, that the apostles said it, it's not appropriate that we should leave our work to serve tables. That doesn't mean that they were against taking care of widows, of course. It just meant that their work was important and their time was already taken up. And, and to stop for, to do this, well, that wouldn't be appropriate. They needed to delegate this responsibility. And so they asked for men to be called from the congregation. The seven men they called were all, all had Grecian names. Now, you can just mull that over in your mind, but it seems very, very practical. They were all Grecians to make sure that the Grecian widows were, well, were also well cared for. One of those was named Stephen. Now Stephen, like Philip, was a deacon then in a special servant. Uh, the, the word serve there, it's not appropriate that we should leave our work to serve tables. It's the same root Greek word as 1 Timothy chapter 3 has the word deacon, diakonos. Well, serve in, in our text tonight in Acts 6 is diakonu, and it's, it's the same root word, and it just means servant. But of course, now, while all of us are deacons then in the generic sense, we aren't in the official sense or the office of a deacon. Now you, that's, you gotta get, that comes important when you think about, for example, Romans 16 and verse 1 about Phoebe. Phoebe, obviously a woman. And the same word is used in reference to her, that she was a deaconess, if you please. And some people get really jazzed about that because that must mean that it's okay for women to be deacons just like men can be deacons in the church, but that's not true. Not in the official sense, because you have First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3 gives qualifications for men who would be elders and for those who would be deacons, and the deacons have to be the husbands of one wife. In the official sense, then, only a man could be a deacon. So that's kind of parenthetical. Stephen, and by the way, Philip, who is, who is going to teach the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, he was also in this group. So you know how it is. And it's here, this is what we at West Huntsville, sometimes you can't keep the deacons from preaching. They always want to start preaching. Well, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm just teasing. Right, Keith? Right. Good. We're good. Okay. And so here's Stephen. Stephen wants to preach, and he does that. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 8. <clears throat> and he's got miraculous gifts, and he is preaching. And verse 10 says that those Jews to whom he is preaching, they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. It caused a great ruckus. Then they're going to, to bring false accusations against him, and he's going to be, and he's ultimately going to be stoned. He was a gospel preacher. He was a deacon, and then he was a gospel preacher. He was the first Christian martyr, first, first martyr in the church. That is to say that he, he gave his life for the cause. He didn't go in that day expecting to or intending to be stoned, but that's what happened because of his preaching. Now, before we leave this, let's just go into verse 8. I'm in Acts 6 and verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and the power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. 
There arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. They weren't able to resist the, the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. And they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes. They came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses. Now hold on a second. These are false witnesses, but there's a seed of truth in what they're saying. It's just not, not the whole truth, and they're twisting it. And that's how it is sometimes. You get things all confused. Let's mingle truth with falsehood, and that's the accusation. Set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. That's the law of Moses. For we've heard him say that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Well, was he preaching that the truth of Jesus would mean that you don't follow that old law anymore? Yep, that's the truth. Was it blasphemy? That's not true at all. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. So he preaches. Ultimately, then you get to chapter 7, and we have his sermon that culminated in his execution. So, that's the introduction to Stephen. Now, what I'm going to do is to raise eight things to your attention tonight. Eight specifics about his personality and his character. All right, the first one. Go with me to verse 3. The Bible says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, somebody that's honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Now, that's the instruction of the apostles about these deacons, who to get. Stephen is the first one on the list. Stephen is full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, the wisdom there, you know James 1 and verse 5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. This is wisdom from above. This is God's wisdom. This is a devout Christian. Now, when you read Barnes' commentary on this, He speculates that the Holy Ghost here, that he's full of the Holy Ghost, doesn't have reference to the miraculous. That's going to be talked about in a minute because he did have the miraculous abilities. But but rather that what's talked about here is similar to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 where the Bible says uh, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. I don't know if Barnes is right about that, but perhaps so. The point is that he was... He wasn't just a Christian on the outside. He was a Christian on the inside, through and through. This is a devout man. You would have loved Stephen. It'd be wonderful. It'll be wonderful one day to meet him and get to talk to him. The first thing is, he was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Now, here's the second one. Drop down to verse 5 of chapter 6. He's a man full of faith. The saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sent before the apostles, and they, laid, they prayed, and they laid hands on them. Now, the, the second thing is he was full of faith. Chapter 6 and verse 5. What's interesting about the word faith here is that when you go to Strong's Lexicon and you look up the definition of that word, and you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, with which you're familiar Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that seek him. Well, that's what that Greek word means when it says that Stephen was full of faith. That's him. 
He believes that God is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, here's the third thing. He was full of power. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power. Now, this is miraculous. This is miraculous. He's got powerful, miraculous ability delegated to him. Now, look how how this is described. Did great wonders and miracles among the people. And you remember Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, and if you're taking notes, write it right there. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, because I mentioned this morning, what that declares is that these miraculous things were in order to confirm the word. And that's what happened. So you get verse 10, and they they couldn't. They, They were enemies of the cross. They had to stop the teaching of Jesus Christ. But when it came to Stephen, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. That is to say that when he preached, it was with clarity. It was the truth that came not only from the new the new teaching of the New Testament, but the Old Testament, which we're going to see. He knew the Bible. He knew the Scriptures. It was very difficult to deny that. But in addition to that, Stephen was able to conduct, to perform miracles. It confirmed it. And you couldn't, well, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And the only thing they could do was to, was to fall back on their old arguments that were just as false, as bogus as could be. And what they did was to accuse a holy man of being a wicked man. That's what they did. And they did it in the ears of the people who would listen to it, who wanted to hear that. I I doubt that that false prophets much suffer for their faith, but true ones do because they always go against the common teaching and practices that are contrary to God's will. And you you know that. All right, so let's drop down now to to verse 15. Here's the fourth thing. I like this one. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. He had the face of an angel. Now, some of you are good-looking people, but I doubt there's anybody here. Well, maybe so. Now, you find passages like this in the Old Testament. I don't, I don't think it meant that he was particularly beautiful, that he was a handsome Maybe he was. I don't know about that. I don't think that's what this has reference to at all. Let me show you two or three briefly in the Old Testament that are similar. Two of them are for David, and the one of them is, believe it or not, for Esau. So go with me to Second Samuel chapter 14 and verse 17. And here is to David, a widow woman who comes to challenge him about something he's it's about Absalom and Absalom. He doesn't want to see Absalom anymore. And so she sent there a wise widow woman to come and appeal to him. And in that context, she referred to him as the angel of God. The king will now be comforting for as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king in discerning good and evil. It was to appeal to him as a man of great wisdom. You are as an angel of God. What about Second Samuel 19 and verse 27? And this one is also to David, and it was from Mephibosheth. Uh, And as he has slandered your servant, my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what is good in your your eyes. And it denotes wisdom. It is to say, you're special. You're, You're not like everybody else. And you've got abilities like angels would have. Now, there's one more. And this one actually uses the word of God. And let's go to Genesis 33.10. Now, this is this is the occasion where... Um, Jacob and Esau, who have been estranged for many years, and you remember the birthright and all of that. And so Esau has declared, next time I see you, if daddy's dead, I'm going to take your life. 
And that's what Jacob is expecting. Jacob is scared to death that this is going to be a battle and he might or might not survive it. When he meets up with Esau, though, that's not what happened at all. Esau was glad to see him. And, and old anger was now cooled off. Isn't that a sweet idea? Isn't that a sweet thought? No more anger. That, that was in the past. And now Esau is glad to see him. And Jacob then kind of blubbers all over himself because I don't mean that ugly, but he was just so glad, so glad that this is not going to end badly. And in that context, Jacob said, no, please, if I've now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. He brought him a gift, a lot of livestock and so forth. Inasmuch as I've seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. I would say that he's having reference to the fact that he's saying that Esau is possessive of great majesty. Now, I wouldn't say this. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say this, but I understand that he did, and that's, that's what I believe he meant, that you're worthy of great majesty. And I, I praise you, and I appreciate what you're doing. Well, all right, well, back, back to Acts chapter 6. So the Bible says that when they looked at, at Stephen, they saw one as one who has the face of an angel. Here's number 5. Go now into chapter 7. He was full of Scripture. That's a real challenge to deacons. I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't necessarily think about deacons as needing as much scriptural knowledge as elders. This would sort of dispute that. Is there a reason why a deacon shouldn't preach? No, no reason at all. And here you have Stephen as a deacon, and, and he is trusted with miraculous gifts, and and Stephen then stands up to preach. Now, I want to I give you just an overview of this sermon. And I don't know if you've read it recently. It's not hard reading. And in fact, it, it seems very much like a sermon that you'd hear her, that you would hear preached at West Huntsville by, by, by me or by somebody, by Paul, by a visitor. I mean, this is not a technical sermon, but it's brilliant. He starts out and he, he refers to them as his brethren and our, our father Abraham. Well, well, that, that establishes common ground. And, and that's, that's, who, that's what they held to, is that in their blood was the, the lineage of Abraham. They were connected to Abraham. And so he preaches about Abraham, and he tells them the story of the Old Testament that they already know. So he's rehearsing all of that. And then he said, so now Abraham was blessed with a son Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob is the father of the twelve patriarchs. And, and everybody in this room, perhaps, probably of any age, you've studied this, and, and you know how the Old Testament account goes. But this is the kind of stuff that we teach our children in our children's class at West Huntsville. This is, this is for kids. I don't mean only, but I mean, we can start early. It's simple enough to do that. So you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, Reuben, Reuben Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, verse 9, I'm in chapter 7 and verse 9. And the patriarchs, those I just mentioned, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. All right, we're progressing now. And Joseph goes into Egypt, and he's there, remember, for, for several years before there's a famine. And he brings his family over into Egypt to the land of Goshen. You remember that. Verse 18, now it progresses. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. That's how Exodus reads. There arose a king in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And so Stephen preaches that. He's been studying from the same Old Testament that you study from. Verse 20, 
At this time, Moses was born. Now, a lot of years passed. But I can tell you, while Stephen is preaching this sermon, that those Jews that are listening to him are nodding like this, because everything he says is very familiar to them. And that's the reason he's doing it. Now, drop down to 36. He brought them out of that Egyptian bondage after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, in the wilderness for 40 years. And now we go all the way. So we take this leap now to verse 40, 45, until the days of David. So you have the kings, you know, and, and then verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven's my throne, and etc. Now, in your Bible or in your notes, whatever you're working on, you, you got to make some sort of a line between verse 50 and 51 because there's a huge cosmic shift between those two verses. And when I describe it, you'll see it plainly. So he's, he's making a logical Old Testament progression through just like I've described to you until you get to 50, verse, the end of verse 50. And I don't know any other conclusion that you could draw except that he looked at the faces of those people and they'd had enough and yonder they come after him. Now, it has to be because they know he's getting to Jesus. They know where he's going with this. He's going through the Old Testament because they know what he preaches. They know he's headed for talking about Christ. And you remember Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and these accusations against these Jews. You, you, you took and you slew him. God's made him both Lord and Christ. He's Jesus, the Christ. And the only hope you have to go to heaven, the only hope you have to be right with God is to be right with Jesus Christ. They knew where he was going. They knew he was going to say this. So they couldn't stand it and they were going to stop him. So verse 51 shifts gears in a remarkable way. We get to the bottom of verse 50. He's talking about Solomon building a house. And he's going, he's making his line toward Christ. But now he's interrupted and he starts saying things extremely plain to them. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so do you. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. You're doing what the, what the people, your ancestors did in the past when the prophets were sent and they prophesied about a Messiah that would come. They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Don't you think that preaching is interesting? It's just interesting to me because Stephen didn't come there to start a fight. That wasn't his purpose. He, what he came to do was to teach the word of God. That's really all. But see, the important thing to understand is that he was going to preach it without regard to the politics of the moment. He wasn't governed by those things. The politics of the moment didn't matter to him at all. What he was going to do in the best way he knew how was to tell the truth. And that included the fact that without Jesus Christ, you were damned. And so here's what happens. Verse 53, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now that brings us to number six. He was a courageous martyr. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now, in my margin, I've written Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 there because that's the same terminology, right, Gary, that you, that you get at Pentecost when they were cut to the heart. And I talked about it this morning. Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
And that triggers verse 38 where Peter says, repent and be baptized to have your sins washed away. So you have two different occasions here, Acts 2 and then Acts 7, where this phrase is used, they were cut to the heart. Now listen, distinctive Bible preaching will do that. That's what's happened here in both cases. In both cases, these people were told, here's what you did. You crucified the Son of God. You can't change that fact. You put him on that cross, and you're responsible for his death. And uh, that cut them. Some people react one way. Some people react the other. Do you remember the parable of the soils? Two different kinds of ground here. And for some of them, the result was that they repented, and they begged. They begged for a way out. For the others, what you had is fury. And 54 says they heard these things. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. At him is a better translation than on him. I, I don't think it's, it's uh, right to picture them coming and biting on him. That, that's, uh, that doesn't seem like it's consistent with the Greek. This is a better translation. They gnashed at him with their teeth. And the idea is used several times in Scripture. And the idea is the grinding of the teeth. In this case, because I'm just so angry. I'm so angry. And they gnashed their teeth. Incidentally, that's what people do in hell. They gnash their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's not uncommon for preachers to make the observation that Jesus is standing. Colossians chapter 3 talks about Jesus in heaven and, he, and he's seated at the right hand of God. In this case, he stands up. Because Stephen, his faithful servant, is under intense and consuming persecution. And said, he said, this is what Stephen said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's different than saying, Okay, look, I didn't mean it. I, no, 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 you don't have to throw the rocks. I didn't mean it. I, I want to backpedal on everything I've said and you're right and I'm wrong and would you just... That's not, it wasn't about, would you forgive me? I didn't mean it. He's, he's, uh, he's ready for what's about to happen. If this is what has to happen, it's what has to happen. And you have this, this faithful martyr. Look, I see the heavens open and I, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran on him with one accord. They're not going to hear it. They will not hear it if it's about Jesus Christ. They will not hear it. You suppose there are some descendants of these people around today in reference to religion? They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Parenthetical note, like, like in the narrative, the narrator sticks this in. Luke says, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. They stoned Stephen. I want you to observe something. This is not original with me. It's an observation that was made by Wayne Jackson, but I thought it was very interesting that Stephen didn't die quickly. He didn't die fast. In verse 58, the Bible says they cast him out of the city and they stoned him, period. But when you get to 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, and Wayne draws from that, that this was a process. It wasn't a quick process. And furthermore, and similar to that, 59 says, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the Greek construction, according to Jackson, is 
that he repeatedly said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Making you to wonder in the picture of what's going on, if after the stones continued to hit him, if he had to scramble to try to get back on his knees to pray this. And here he reaches out in prayer to the Lord and asks Jesus to receive the spirit, his spirit. Now here's number seven in the last one. And Stephen was a man who was full of compassion and full of love. Full of compassion. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I don't know how you keep on throwing rocks at a man who prays for you while you do it. How how do you do that? How do you keep throwing them? I, I don't, I don't know that it, you know, I do know that when they took, or when my Lord was in the garden there, and, and this mob comes, and they have swords and staves, weapons, and the Bible says they tied him. They, they tied his hands. They just watched him heal the, the ear of Malchus. You know, I mean, don't you think it's kind of hard to do that? They tied, they, I, I think it was all symbolic. I don't know. You have to, push mighty hard to hate a man like that. And this is very similar to what Jesus prayed on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen is like that. And maybe intentionally, maybe he wanted, maybe he thought this out, that when the time came that he would be a martyr, that he wanted to do it like the Lord. I don't know. But I know this. He prayed for those who were throwing the rocks. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Now, he's not asking for something that's against the will of God any more than Jesus was. It wasn't that he was asking God to do something that was without condition or any kind of unconditional forgiveness. That's not the point. I would say that the prayer is more inclined toward give them time. Lord, give them time to see what they've done. And, and you know, and, and I talked about, Paul talked about this recently in his sermon, I think last Sunday maybe, that that the forgiveness that for, for which Jesus prayed for those crucifying him was granted to those people in Acts chapter 2 when they were told they were the ones who crucified the Lord and they were told to repent and be baptized. And so the prayer was fulfilled, but it wasn't unconditional. And that's how it was with Stephen. Now, let me tell you something. This is the Lord's army. You, you and I don't live in, in the time when much martyrdom goes on I'm thankful for that. I'd like to live out my life and preach the gospel until my time is finished. But Stephen is is one of our brothers. Stephen is part of our family. He's one of our ancestors. Per our discussion this morning. And as we think about Memorial Day, and I'm thankful for those who have protected our country, defended our country, I'm, I'm considerably even more grateful for those who died defending the truth of Jesus Christ. And when they finished throwing the rocks, and the Bible says he gave up the spirit, or fell asleep, he died. Be impressed with the fact that there was nothing else they could do to that man. I mean, he went to glory. Any question about that? Jesus was standing there waiting to welcome him. No question about that. They couldn't harm him anymore. They couldn't no more harm him than they could reach up into heaven and jerk him down. They couldn't. They finished. And and when you and I leave this world and go to glory, 
those who would do us harm will never be able to do it again. No matter how much they want it, they'll never be able to change the truth and they'll never be able to, to harm us anymore. There are, no, there are no tears in heaven. Don't you love the character studies of the Bible? These are our people. They're there for a reason. We have them there to help us grow and be strong and be faithful as Christians. And even though I'm not called upon to give my life in the way Stephen did, well, I don't know about the future, but I must have the same kind of faith as he had. I must have the same kind of dedication. That's true about everybody in this room. We must have that same kind of strength and confidence in Jesus Christ and live our lives to serve him. Isn't it interesting that the Jesus who loved him enough to die for him did not prevent his death. Sometimes, oftentimes, what the Lord gives us is not an absence of persecution, but an accompaniment when we are persecuted. He's always with us. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.